0: Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. In this episode, I'm joined by Tony Sané, the original Big Cat. We talk about his standout performance in World Cup 2002, some hilarious stories from his career in Germany, and the work he's doing these days for his foundation, which just last week was named a finalist for the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation's 2018 Sports Award. Just a quick reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. A quick disclaimer, we had some echoes where we recorded this interview. My apologies that the sound quality isn't perfect. Onward! Our guest today is Tony Sané, who had one of the best World Cup performances ever by a U.S. player when he was part of the U.S.'s run to the quarterfinals of World Cup 2002. He also played for six seasons in Germany with Hertha Berlin and Nuremberg, and eight seasons in MLS. Tony, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: I kind of stalked you on uh, on Instagram. I saw you were in New York. I messaged you, and actually, this is one thing I love about being in New York is you can kind of do this from time to time. So thanks for doing this on short notice. Oh, it's
1: it's great. It's been great to be here and catch up with people, and you know, social media has definitely helped us uh, keep up relationships. So. I'm excited.
0: Now, one of the things I think about when I think of your career and also with the national team is at the time in 2002, U.S. soccer and the men's national team maybe didn't have as many fans as they do today. And I think, in a way, your performance at the World Cup in (coughs) 2002 is almost overlooked. Not enough people who are fans of the team today know about it. Do you almost feel like you were ahead of your (coughs) time? In a way,
1: I mean, <clears throat> I don't think we were ahead of our time, um, you know, and I choose my words carefully because I, I want the team to keep growing and doing well and I believe in supporting the country, um, but I, we were, you know, the team that won games. Um, we had, and one could say we underperformed, and we had a really strong, complete team um, and we had depth at every position. Um, we had athletes that could run with any people in the world. And we had people that could play under composure and skilled and so. It was a complete unit that was built there and it all kind of came together and, you know, it's being forgotten but, you know, that's, that's what the sport is. I mean, we're, we're in the past but I, I'd like to say we helped lay the groundwork and, you know, at the same way that they did in 94 in the same way that they did earlier.
0: One of my favorite goals in U.S. history was in the USA-Portugal game in the first game of World Cup 2002, where you went down the right flank and delivered, essentially, a perfect cross to Brian McBride, your former teammate with the uh, Milwaukee Rampage, if I remember correctly, and that was for 3 nothing in the first half. And I was struck by the way the U.S. played that game against one of the top teams in the world was not a sort of let's just park the bus. It was taking it to them. It is possible for the U.S., for a national team from the U.S., to play that way in that setting at a World Cup against a top team. Have we forgotten that?
1: Well, you know, we could play that way because of the team we had. So I would say, you know, you play to win the game, as you know. Um, there are times when you're going to want to park the bus. That team particularly, we could go toe-to-toe with anybody, everybody. So it was in our best interest to make them beat us and not, you know, try to park the bus and squeeze out a counterattack. Um, I do think we've had teams with athletes that we, we can do that. More than maybe we do right now. Um, and part of it is having a lot of confidence. The world is, the difference between top teams and bottom teams is shrinking. And if you can put 11 top athletes on the field, you can make it difficult for people. And, you know, one of the things you look up at Guardiola's teams or the Barcelona teams, um, as good as they are offensively, the key to their success, in my opinion, is tactically, watch how quickly they get around the ball once they lose it. Watch how they pressure. When you drop back, you give the other team confidence, you get, get organized, but when you instinctively pressure immediately, you don't let them, you know, get going. And people, you know, pressure makes people make mistakes. So you can't expect people to make mistakes if you don't put them under pressure. And that team, we had the ability to put people under pressure.
0: Obviously, there was more than just, more than just the Portugal game that people remember mm-hmm. from that tournament with the U.S. There was an impressive tie against South Korea, uh, which would go on to the semifinals. There was the victory over Mexico, uh, still the biggest victory ever for the U.S. against its arch rival. And then taking Germany all the way in the quarter final, perhaps outplaying them even before losing 1-0. What stands out to you when you look back at that tournament from your experience, your memory?
1: You know, there's a lot of what could have been. Um, I feel like we can hold our heads up high, right? We we made a run and you look at a break here or there and maybe we're in the finals, right? you know, a handball, a, you know, a better marking, um, some other chances. You know, you beat Germany and you're playing a team that you tied and you all played already to go to the finals. Um, but, you know, what's most exciting to me is like we held our head up high. You know, we played the win, we were a team, and we made people proud to watch us. And people enjoyed watching, we were an exciting team. And so it was one of the rare occasions, and i say U.S. soccer history, where people loved the style of play, and it was successful.
0: Yeah. I, I also look back at that tournament. You had been in Germany for a few seasons by then, but you kind of got a late start. And I had forgotten until I looked this up. You were 31 years old at World Cup 2002, and if my, my feeling is, I was there for the whole thing, my feeling is if, if you were 21 instead of 31 in that tournament doing what you did, you would have gone for a giant transfer fee to like a big club based on your performance in that tournament. Do you feel like you were a late bloomer?
1: Um, yeah, I feel like I was a late bloomer, but part of it were the opportunities in America. You know, you know the pay-to-play system. Being from Minnesota, even how MLS started, you know, I knew that coaches liked me, but they didn't value me, right? They didn't want to pay me what they paid even like um, USL players because I was in the this other A league. Um, and then once I got playing, you know, you know I could have been on the World Cup team before, you know, the the earlier one, and I felt like I should have been. Um, I had some injuries and. I, you know, at that point, you know, that's when I went to Germany, right? So hindsight is twenty twenty. but I, I think if the previous World Cup coach would have invested in me as much as my coach did, you know, he would have got gains. And one thing I will say about my, my career is that, um, you know, I, I believe I've always been a good return on investment for every coach that's ever believed in me and, and put me out there. So, you know, A lot of people will say, you know, you're one of Bruce's boys and I say, yes, we we helped each other a lot and I'd like to think that every time Bruce put me on the field, he got something out of it, right? Championships in D.C., helping with the culture in, in L.A., um, and in the, at the national team level, he knew he could count on me to do whatever he asked and you know, I went back and looked at it and I started nine different positions in, <laughs> in national team games, right and and I started six different positions in the Champions League games so you know that my my goal was to get on the team and help the team win yeah. um, with whatever it, whatever it took and people that invested in me saw a uh, a return
0: I also feel like you played at a time ton- in the late 90s, early 2000s, before the big boom in soccer on television in the U.S. This was still at a time when it was either impossible or extremely difficult to find European games on TV. You talk about playing in UEFA Champions League games, about playing in the Bundesliga. What are some of your favorite memories from the career that, (coughs) unfortunately, so few of us here in the U.S. got to see on television?
1: Well, you know, if you've grown up watching the Champions League and you see them walk out and they play that music and the soccer ball is there, um, that's cool. And when you're you're on the field and you hear the same music and the walking out in the big soccer ball, you're still like, that's cool. (laughs) You know, and a lot of professional games, surprisingly, are during the day. So, Champions League games are always at night. Mm -hmm. So you have a little more, there's just a little more fanfare about it. Um, it was exciting. It was really exciting. I mean, that was definitely, you know, maybe opening game, 77,000 people playing at home against Chelsea. Um, that was, that was a, a special moment, right? And, you know, we made it to the second round, and we had, you know, we played Milan and Barcelona and Porto and Chelsea and Galatasaray. So, you know, all teams that you grow up watching. And I, I do think, you know, me playing in Germany... Um, you know, one it, televised German games aren't are really hard to find, and you know, Hertha was an up and coming team. Although we finished in the top five every year, um, there just wasn't a, a lot. And you know, my coaches got in a big argument. So I looked at you know, some of the years when I was in my prime, you know, I played more than every other player with the national team as far as qualification games or real games, but. I was not allowed to play like in the Confederations Cup or mm. or friendlies. So statistically, you know, my national team numbers are gonna be pretty low, because although I was a starter for 10 years, um, I would only play a two or three games in some years where it wasn't a qualifier, or, mm. you know? And, you know, they were, make, they were paying my paycheck and made it kind of clear. And um, I remember once even Bruce got in a big argument with my, with my coach and it wasn't pretty. What'd he say? we were in Russia and it was really hard to get visas so by the time we have the game we only go to Russia with 14 people no way and and I had played you know five games in 17 days and we have like four games left in the season and we're battling for this third Champions League spot so the agreement was you know we had 17 players in our team that played for national teams so everyone that went out would only play a half right Mm -hmm. and so you know this game I end up playing, mind you, all the positions that I've played. This game, I end up playing uh, second forward, right? So, <laughs> I'm playing underneath McBride, right? Um, mind you, when I'm playing like right wingers in Germany or defense with the national team Norman. But I'm playing second forward and it's like a hundred degrees out and um, I think somebody goes down, like Armis went down first half, so he didn't want to use the sub and then we only had, you know, two subs left. So we're like, it's 100 degrees and guys are falling. So, you know, by the end of the game, I could barely walk. And I think Bruce appreciated it because I stuck it out. But by the time I got in the locker room, my phone rang. And it was my coach swearing at me. And I just, <laughs> I just handed the phone to Bruce, who started just swearing back. Right? Um, <clears throat> but that's why I switched clubs. I got back home and my coach said, here's your, here's your contract for next year. And he goes, this is, we've asked U.S. Soccer for a list of qualifiers. And you have the 10... He goes, so every time you go away for a game, you're going to come back and watch from the stadium. He goes, I have 18 national team players that can travel 30 minutes to the game, and you want to travel eight hours and go across the globe, and you guys don't respect our team. So if you want to stay here, here's the contract. But you you do get like $20,000 a game, um, you know, a point win bonus. So you're going to miss a lot of win bonuses if you're in the stands.
0: That to (coughs) me seems completely disrespectful and possibly against FIFA rules.
1: Well, no, because they're gonna say you're tired. And they're gonna say, and so what would happen is, like, for a normal person it's different, so I would play a game on Saturday, fly out Sunday, get to the United States, you know, Sunday night or something, you know, and then maybe we'd have to meet here and we'd fly to Mexico uh, on Monday, train, train Tuesday, in mexico wednesday fly back to america um, leave thursday you know you know arrive friday too late for practice and then a game on saturday yeah so he's like you know you've traveled you know 20 hours by flight in the last three days played 90 minutes and are arriving the day before the game without coming to practice so i'm not going to put you in the 18. Mm. another person you know plays saturday flies 30 minutes somewhere else in Europe, gets to their hotel that night, does recovery, has a jogging stretch on Sunday morning, practices Monday, Tuesday, plays the game, and is back in Berlin um, the night of the game, or or early the next morning.
0: This was the type of stuff that supposedly the FIFA international window was supposed to make better, but if you're a, a player from North America or South America, you certainly are having to fly a lot.
1: Yeah, and we had, a, we had another player, Joe Simonich, who was, you know, he had a choice to play for Australia, Yeah, and they were like, you, you, we want you to play for Croatia, because if you have to go for qualifiers, huh. we're going to miss too much time. So you literally
0: had to change clubs because of this? Well, yeah, because,
1: you know, Bruce at that point, he said, listen, as long as you're playing, you know, you're in my top 11, but I need players that are fit and playing and so I'm like I have to be playing and I'm going to go to the World Cup um, my club is like <clears throat> if you don't go you're going to be playing so it was the like, that's 2020 and the year before you know they made the, my club made the promise to me you know we had Champions League and they said listen we have a big season next year and we expect you to be in the starting 11 but you have to be here for all the preseason so we will plan with you if you don't go to the Confederations Cup hmm. and so I skip the confederations cup so i could be in the starting eleven
0: wow that's crazy um in terms of germany it seems like that is the destination of choice today for a lot of the young american players much more than england at this point much more than any other european country what would you say to some of these younger US players, American players, they may be teens even, when they go to Germany in particular, what advice would you give to them about how do you, how do you make it work in Germany? Because you made it work in Germany.
1: Right, well first, I think England would be the destination, but I think work permits is the real issue for mm-hmm. young players. Um, but <clears throat> Germany is the top league that's, I guess, most assimilated Um, what I would if I tell somebody that goes to Germany they say if you can play in Germany you can play anywhere Um, and it's more about fitting in in the culture so you know I would say work your ass off Um, but respect yourself you know Germany is a place where where if you show your weaknesses they will beat up on you Mm. Um, and if you stand up for yourself um, they will respect you Um, so You really need to respect yourself and um, respect others, but you you gotta have you gotta be confident.
0: When you say stand up for yourself, are there any particular things you're referring to, or
1: you know, just you know, like if literally, like in in Germany, like if a guy yells at you for a pass and it wasn't wrong, you should like reply to him that it wasn't wrong (laughs) because they'll just keep coming, you know. You know, I have a funny story. On my tryout, they're like, you know, I had I had played here. They sent the video. They're gonna offer contract. They said, well, you had these surgeries. How do we know you're fit? So can you fly over and we can see you for a day or two, and then we're good. So I fly over after MLS finals, and I am training the first day, and um, and then the second day I'm I'm training. And I'm like, okay, I'm still stronger and faster than all these guys, and but I'm I'm a big guy. I don't want to hurt anybody. Um, And this guy kicks me in practice, like just blades me. I look at the coach who just turns his lip up and shrugs his shoulders and like nothing. And I I didn't know what to do. So at that point I was like, screw it, like not me. So I just started manhandling everybody and throwing people around. And I was a forward and I would grab two people, throw them together. And every time that guy got the ball, I found him and laid his ass out. And, and I was just kind of angry through the whole practice and bullied people. And I walk inside and, you know, my agent's like, how oh, was practice? I was like, oh, it was shitty. I mean, this guy kicked me. So I just basically started beating people up for the next hour. And he goes, oh, he goes, you must have done something right. Because the general manager came and he said, the coach was really nervous about you being a timid player yesterday. But after seeing you fight today, he said, you guys can leave and the contract will be in the mail. <laughs> I mean,
0: that's I mean that's fascinating to me. I mean, like did, I assume you learned the language as well when you're over there. I learned the language
1: not as well as I, I, I should have, but I, I did learn the language. And you know, going back in Germany, they want you to be able to fight for them. right? Yeah. You you got to be able to put it all on the line.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about what you're doing these days too. I mean, so you're living in
1: yeah. Twin Cities. Yeah, Twin Cities.
0: Um and. You know, obviously, there's always been a soccer culture there, but it seems to be getting bigger. Part of that may be with Minnesota United and the new soccer stadium. Um, what are you up to these days?
1: So, I'm running the Sana Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, I started a youth development organization. and you know, when, I was, when I was retiring, I knew I had to go back and, and give back, and it was going to be through soccer. And then I realized, and it's a great thing about being in New York like, this game has built so many relationships for me. So I realized it wasn't the soccer that I really needed to give back. It was, I needed to provide relationships. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I was good at that. So I built an organization on building relationships. So hmm. three key areas, I went to where kids are at. Um, I have 50 mentors that work in 17 public schools full-time and they help them during the day, academic support, mentoring them. And then after school, they do soccer and, and different type of leadership. Um, I do free summer camps for 8,000 kids. Each camp is a week long. And then I run a community center for the city of, of St. Paul. And um, we're in the middle of a $12 million um, renovation and building fields and a dome there. So we're pretty excited about that.
0: That's really cool. I mean, you're getting back to this game in, in your city. And there's been a lot of talk, especially over the last year about what isn't being done in American soccer to reach uh, communities that aren't upper middle class white folks? Right. What's your sense of what needs to be done?
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's it's like beating the drum. I mean, we, we know it. It's just it's the same thing. We know how to you know remove powder, poverty from the society. It's are we willing to invest in it? Right and. And that means, you know, like on the DA level, like nobody should have to play, pay to be on the DA if that's our mechanism of routing all our top talent, right? Like the best kids in the city, money should never be a deterrent. And some teams still have to pay. Um, and then I think, you know, media and television is going to help because that's access. That's access to people seeing what the game is supposed to look like. And that, I guess, is overshadowed a lot. So I do think with that access, a lot of other kids are going to learn to play from watching. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they just need opportunities and space. So we just need to, like our summer camps, you know, at the six-year-old level, we're teaching kids basic directions, right? How to stand up, how to stand on the line. But we're giving them an opportunity to start loving the game. Mm-hmm. And we have to have more situations where people can just love the game and play. And then when we do start to funnel into, you know, more experience, better um, on a professional track, we have to have supports in there um, to do it. And then lastly, you know, w- we do great internationally in the 16 to 18 range, I think, but we don't do it transitioning from 17 to 21. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our players, if we go to another country at like 16 to 17, you know, like the John O'Briens, and you know, they'll be fine. But here, you know, when they get that professional experience, they're not getting the same type of support or teaching to get to the next level. And we're saying we're not developing them or we're blaming it on them, but they're not getting opportunities to play. You know, even the ones that do sign with the professional team, they train, but they basically can't get on the field, and then two, three years later, we say why then they develop. Mm. So I know MLS is working on a larger partnership with the USL, um, which would, grant, you know, them sort of like to play college. It would be another step where they would actually be games on the field, or like in other countries, you have a B team um, that you really get quality games on. You really learn to be a team player. Um, the other thing that I, I don't think is healthy is, is you know, parents, kids are jumping everywhere Mm -hmm. and so they're not learning to be good teammates and Mm -hmm. you know, the thing about professional soccer is you to be effective, you, you gotta go and support your teammate and that means like you gotta build real relationships and that can't be taught and so at a young age when you play with friends you don't care what happens to you, if they get beat you're gonna be there and you know if you get beat someone's gonna be there now when kids are going from club to club They'll just, like, stay one inch away from their player the whole game, take a shot whenever they get the ball because it becomes an individual victory instead of a true team victory. Um, And those little things are the difference of why some people are professionals and some aren't.
0: You've done a lot of international travel as well since your playing career ended. What are some of the countries you've been to? What have you been doing on these trips?
1: So I go travel a lot with the State Department or there's some other groups that I'm a part of in Germany that we just go and and play with ex-players and try to raise money for for global change. Um, But with the State Department, you know, we've been to Malaysia, Pakistan, um, Bangladesh, Bolivia, um, Namibia, um, Ethiopia. Abu Dhabi, um, basically to go and help teach soccer at a grassroots level, um, to promote democracy, to encourage participation of girls and women mm-hmm. uh, in sports, and, and kind of just to share best practices. And also to learn, to learn about other cultures and how we, you know, they have successes that can be woven into our everyday life. Who are
0: some of the former U.S. players you've traveled with?
1: Uh, Lloyd Fair mm-hmm. was, was the last one. Daniel Slayton, Linda Hamilton. Um, I've done a couple with Linda, um, Kate Sombrero. Mm-hmm. Um, are the ones I think that yeah. I'm, I'm remembering. It's a good group. It's a good group. Yeah, and you learn a lot. And it's great because I learn a little bit more about the women's game every time, and you know about their struggle and you know their successes and. You know, how they were truly pioneers and, um, you know, the men's and the different women's game is different and the culture was different, but, you know, they were world champions, so it's it's nice to see and learn and you really appreciate, you know, what they've accomplished in helping develop the sport and in representing our country.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you want to coach at all?
1: You know, I'd, I'd consider it, um, I'm considerate, I'm starting to get to the point where where I'm, I'm missing the game a little bit in that aspect, you know. Um, and you know, I think the level of coaching I, I would be interested in getting back in the professional game, I think I would be best suited to support the younger players coming into the league. I think that there is a missing position on most coaching staff, and it's, you know, it would be a player development coach, you know, not a director of player development, but a true player development coach that would work with the young younger players between the ages of 18 and 24 on the little things that make them a professional, on, that keeps them on the field, that tactically makes them more aware. You know, my last few years of playing, there were so many young players on the field that tactically it was hard to have good sessions. Um, and then these, so if you can work with these young players because the coach is getting ready for his game on the weekend, he's worrying about winning first and so is the assistant coach for all practical reasons. But if we can develop and put a little more resource to these younger players, I think we'd we'd get a great return. And I think with my experience, being able to play nine different positions for the national team, knowing how to get on the field, I think that's where I would be of most use. Um, And I think that's where I find the most fulfillment, is working with younger players. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Um, What are the two positions you didn't play for the national team?
1: I didn't play goalkeeper. And... I did not play left back in a 4 4 two. <laughs> um, I played left back in three backs. I played center back in yeah. three backs. I played right in three. I played center and right in four. I played right midfield. I played left midfield. Um, I played defensive midfield. I played striker, and I played withdrawn forward.
0: No freaking way. And I actually remember seeing in your Wikipedia that you did play goalkeeper for a very short time at one point, like (coughs) (laughs) Milwaukee.
1: I, you know, I had a, it was, we had a, I played in the Chicago Fire in a U.S. in an indoor game. And we had an ESPN game against Cleveland. And they were like the highest scoring team. And so they were super excited. Like they were going to beat us like 50 to zero. And so our coach was like, this was the setup. The only ESPN game that we get, we're playing the number one team and you know they got the two top goal scorers, you know. So he's like, we're gonna change the narrative. So <laughs> <laughs> this is hilarious, right? ESPN game, he's like, Tony, you're gonna start and go. No way. Yeah. And we're pulling the keeper from the beginning of the game. So we're gonna come out, you're gonna play six attacker the whole game, and we're just gonna play keep away. <laughs> so <laughs> how'd that go? So, you know, we were actually up all the way. They, they scored in the final, like, two minutes to beat us. And, you know, these games, indoor games, are like, 30 to 25 or something because right. you get three-pointers and stuff. This game ended up being, like, 9-8. Oh, wow. Yeah. They, they only scored three goals, so I think three or four goals in, in the whole indoor game. And uh, we lost, but the league commissioner wasn't, wasn't very happy. Uh, <laughs> was not happy.
0: should have been happy. It
1: sounds like an interesting game. We, you know? par- we parked the bus. We
0: parked the bus. Oh shit! Um, I'm curious when you look at MLS today, and you were part of the very start of the league, basically uh, on some of the best teams the league has seen with DC United, and then you went to Germany. You come back and you play in MLS again. Uh, what oh six oh seven oh nine around there, and that was at a different stage in the league's mm-hmm. development and now, uh, you know, basically 10 years later, we're at a different stage of the league's development. When you look at MLS today, what do you think about where the league is, in, the areas in which the league is advanced and areas where it still needs to grow or isn't that much right. different from when you started with DC right. United?
1: So it's hard for me because when, I, when, when we first started, our team was really special. And there was like four or five teams in that era that was special. LA had a special team. You know, Kansas City actually had a special team, and that Tampa team was was pretty special. And I think those teams were special and ahead of the time. I think you know those teams were still ahead of MLS for the first seventeen or eighteen years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now you're starting to see some teams that are you know, like the Toronto team is is pretty strong. Um, Starting to see some, you know, the couple of LA teams were really strong. Um, I think the league as a whole now is is more professional. Um, I you know tactically, the the skill set is better across the board. Mm-hmm. So just you know, ta- you know, technique mm-hmm. is is better. I mean, the things that you would take for granted, you you know. Everyone is like has better fundamentals now. I would say, um, you know, tactically. It, so I don't actually know if there are actually more Americans playing now. Somebody told me it's dead. Now, how many actually Americans play now on the field as opposed to twenty-five years In ago? In
0: terms of the upper end and middle to upper end yeah. income-wise, there's fewer Americans today, right?
1: So, that would bother me that in 20 years, like, the Americans haven't. And, you know, we really have to be tactical about this. There's two people that would watch. Mexico, when they shipped the bed, they did a whole makeover, right, and invested in there. And the other country that did this was Germany. Yeah. You know, when I was there, they started to change all the rules. You couldn't, even at lower leagues, like at third division, you couldn't, only Germans could play Hmm. they started to give opportunities to Germans so they would develop and if we're not going to do that because we're worried about the game you know, I think the more Americans we put on the pitch the better that they'll play I mean, we're, but if they don't give them opportunities and I do think that they have to invest more money in the mid-level guy that doesn't necessarily starts makes 125 to 200,000, been in the league for 10 years, maybe he's a starter for 10 games a year, but you can count on him, he stabilizes the locker room. Those guys <clears throat> improve the quality of training every day. Those guys teach the younger players on tactically what you're supposed to do. And if you don't invest in them um, tactically, the game really struggles and i think that's where um i've seen some very advanced you know tactically aware teams and i've also seen some things where i'm just like you know what's going on here like this is we're, we're better than this so as a whole you know it, it's exciting to watch um it's booming business um i guess i'm a little warped because the teams that i played on um were sort of different than the rest of the league. You know, if you would have compared, you know, instead of being on my first DC team, if it was the first Colorado team or or the first New England team or the first Metro Stars team, you know, then maybe I would I would see it a lot different. Mm-hmm. But I really I compare it to the teams that, that i that I've been on.
0: Yeah, um, you're part of the U.S. men's national team that achieved the most honestly in the history of the U.S. men's national team. I know the 1930 team went to the semis but that was a completely different tournament. You got to the quarterfinals. Um, when you see U.S. soccer having to basically start over with the men's national team after the failure of missing out on the World Cup, what are your thoughts about what you'd like to see happen?
1: Um, I want to see us start in investing in Americans. Right, giving them opportunities to get on the field, right, and you know the league rules. We keep coming up with more money to pay others to come. Like, why aren't we investing in our players to stabilize so they can teach the younger generation? We need to get more players on the field, and that's the only way they're going to develop here. Um, and we need to get them tactically aware. So, you know, we have a lot of resources in this country, and um, we have players all over the world now. But we have to give players opportunities to play in the development stage, and so I hope we we invest in that. And you know, our team was again it was it was special because if you look at the last twenty years, maybe we're the outlier, um, but I think it, it's always been moving up. And you know, it's a big hit, but we're not the best team not to make the World Cup, right? So like, we can we can be honest. You know, there's six or seven other teams in the world that would probably. Think that they're much better than us, and we might say they are. Um, that did go to the World Cup, so it does happen, and not that it was the perfect storm, but you know, a lot of shit went the wrong way. Right, so,
0: yeah, if people want to <coughs> learn more about the Sauna Foundation, what's the best way to do that?
1: Um, they go to the mm-hmm. um and um, look up, look us up there. We, we, um, we're mostly in Minnesota. We do programming in Haiti. Um, we want people to support us when they can and, and possibly get involved. Uh, we do international trips and also if you have some, if you have some, um, if you have some insights or collaborations, um, we'd love to partner with you.
0: Um, lastly, I'm curious about your thoughts, uh, you're not in the National Soccer Hall of Fame. Right.
1: Yeah. Is that is that bothering you? You know, I I would be lying to say if I didn't care. Um, I I think one, it would definitely help my current business, helping more kids, so that's a factor. You know, I'm an ego guy, so when I look across the rooms and know the players that, you know, were on the bench behind me that are that are there. Um, it I would say you know I would love to be there it's, it's it'd be a great honor you know um if I had to if I had to put a plug into myself I would say that you know I me along with Chris Armis I think you know played we didn't necessarily get noticed but there was a time period where you know six or seven years where I think I played the most minutes of of any U.S. player in real games um you know playing in the Champions League. My stats are lower because I wasn't allowed to play for a long period of time. Coming from Minnesota I did not get the opportunities but when I did I would say I made the most of them. And then in the MLS I've been on you know three championship teams in DC scored in in basically three finals including the Inter-America Cup which that was the only time a teams won there which I scored in the final. Um, When I retired I know statistically I had the highest winning percentage of any single player in MLS history. So, you know, it wasn't about being in front of the camera, it was about winning games and, you know, I, I hope at some point or when it goes to the next phase of the ballot where it's not a popularity contest and the veterans ballot um, consider me because, yeah, it would be a good honor and that's a special club and it puts you in history. So, um, does it bother me? You know, you could say I'm jealous and it would be a great honor and I do think I deserve to be there so hopefully one day we'll see but um, you know with the voting right now it's you know um, I'm not going to go to all owns on people but you know it is somewhat of a popularity contest so hopefully someday people will look at my whole body of work with being on the best team playing at the highest level in the biggest games when you look at scoring in championships my running the world cup um the number of positions, the number of teams, and, and um, consider
0: I would say this to listeners, some of whom may be Hall of Fame voters. Google Tony Sané, and you'll see some uh, revealing videos, highlights from over the years with the U.S. national team, with teams in Germany, with teams in MLS. And I'll leave it at that. Tony Sané, thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Tony Sané, as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the 30-minute Planet Football video show, hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available on si.tv. Amazon channels and Fubo TV. See you next time.
1: Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network.
0: Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.